0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank you, David, for having me today. So our goal today, Sujada and I, um, is to go over cases of patients with UC who present with joint pains. Uh, and in my clinic, often when, patient, when a fellow present a patient, I try to guide them: What would you do next? What would you order? So today we decided to reverse the role. So Sujada is the boss today. Uh, she's going to be presenting the uh, two cases that we uh, uh, each one of us uh, saw in clinic, and uh, I will. Uh, Uh, try my best to uh, share with you my thought process in uh, approaching these cases. Uh, So Sujaja, go ahead. Thank
1: you. Um. Um, so as um, Dr. Charabadi noted, um, the objective of our cases is to kind of highlight the different types of arthropathies that are commonly seen in ulcerative colitis patients, um, one being um, IBD-associated arthropathy, um, which occurs in about 40, perc- 40 to 50% of IBD patients, particularly in 10% of ulcerative colitis patients. Majority of the time, this is usually a peripheral arthritis. Um, there's also drug-induced arthropathies um, that can be seen with steroid withdrawal, drug reactions, and anti-TNF-induced lupus. And always keeping in mind non-IBD-related arthropathies in these patients. So we'll begin with our first case. It starts with a 45-year-old male with a history of pan-ulcerative colitis diagnosed eight years ago. He was initially on infliximab for two years and developed a loss of response and antibodies. He was then transitioned to adalumumab and 6-MP for 18 months and then adalimumab 40 milligrams every other week. He was both um, clinical and endoscopic remission for five years on this therapy. However, over the last five months, he's developed joint pains. He noted his joint pains to be mild swelling and pain of the right wrist, as well as migrating pains of the elbow, shoulders, and knees. Um, These were not responding to acetaminophen and no improvement after his adalimumab injections. He denied any rashes or fevers, but did note that he had some eye itching and irritation, and also anxiety and insomnia. So at this point, um, we can kind of discuss what our differential diagnosis
0: would be. Do you mind going back to the. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. I need your help. Okay. Can you hear me now? Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, so um, my husband and my kids think I approach things very irrationally at home, but in my clinic, I try to be very rational about this. <laughs> so like you mentioned, one is uh, when I see a patient with IBD and joint pain, one is this IBD-related Two is it's due to the drug. Three is it something completely independent. Uh, so in this gentleman with uh, large joint pain and are uh, migrating, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is a type one peripheral arthropathy. Uh, typically, uh, this type of uh, joint disease is associated with active disease, with other extra intestinal manifestation. This gentleman is in clinical remission, so it makes it less likely. Uh, he has some eye irritation, so that could be an extra intestinal manifestation there. Uh, but we know that even in uh, we've been talking about this today that even in patients who are in clinical remission there might be some endoscopic activity so maybe uh, these joint pains are the expression of what's going on in the lumen Um, the second thing that comes to mind could this be drug-induced if this patient was on steroid recently could this be part of a steroid withdrawal Uh, could this be uh, a serum sickness type of disease I've seen that mainly with uh, infliximab not much with uh, adalumimab, but it can give you uh, joint pains uh, especially in people who develop uh, antibody to the anti-TNF. Could this be a drug-induced lupus, an anti-TNF-induced lupus? It will go well with the pain, uh, with the joint pain. Typically, I've seen people with more of a rash or fatigue and malaise, but joint pains are also a presentation of that. And, uh, finally, could this be completely non-IBD related, like a parvovirus infection, uh, maybe some, um, you know, developing another autoimmune disease, rheumatoid arthritis. I would expect to see some joint deformities. Uh, so these will be my, uh, my thought, uh, my initial thoughts.
1: Yep. Yeah, so here's a full list of differential diagnosis that um, Dr. Charabadi just went over. Um, as she noted, that um, type 1 peripheral arthritis um, sometimes does parallel disease activity. However, type 2 peripheral arthritis is um, independent of disease activity. Um, there can be axial involvement um, in some of these patients, um, but that's not the type of um, pain that our patient was having in our case. But there could be ankylosing spondylitis that's independent of bowel disease and has an association with HLA-B27. So uh, at this point, uh, a peripheral arthritis or a drug-induced arthropathy, as mentioned, is probably the top two on the differential. So what would be the best tests next in order to confirm a diagnosis?
0: Um, so again, I, w- I want to know if there's luminal disease. I would explain why this patient is having joint disease. So uh I would check a CRP and a calprotectin, ideally. We know that calprotectin is very sensitive at uh, picking up active disease and UC, mainly in distal disease. Uh so that would be my first step. Um I want to know what his adalumumab level is, if he's having antibodies, if there are positive antibodies that might kind of trigger this could be uh, a reaction to the drug and anti-TNF uh, uh like a hypersensitivity, um, and I also want to know what is his adalimumab level in case this is related. The joint pain is related to his disease. I want to see if I can maximize therapies. Um, since we talked about um, anti-TNF induced lupus, I want to know what his ANA is, double-strand DNA, anti-histone antibodies. Um, probably get some X-rays. If, uh, I think the wrist was inflamed a little bit. Looked unla- so uh, look at that. See if there's any uh, joint destruction that will lead me more. T- our an RA diagnosis. Um, so I would start with that.
1: Yep. So here is the laboratory workup. Um, the white blood cell count was 3.1, which was lower than his baseline of 7. Uh, normal hemoglobin hematocrit, normal CRP. Uh, fecal calprotectin was 37. Um, Adalimumab trough levels were 7 with no drug antibodies. His rheumatologic workup was um, consistent with an elevated ANA, elevated anti-double-stranded DNA, and elevated anti-histone antibody level. The rest of his serologic um, rheumatology workup was negative, and he also had normal C3 and C4 complement levels, and x-rays of his joints were
0: normal. So now I'm thinking more. This is more anti-TNF induced lupus, right? So his disease seemed to be in in, a, in remission by objective marker, with a CRP and a normal fa- uh, coprotectin The adalimumab level are okay. Uh, I think uh, I, I like higher level, but in this context, seems like it's okay. Uh, but what we're seeing is we're having more of the uh, we're having the antibodies that we see with drug induced lupus: the ANA, the double stranded DNA, the histones. And the antibodies that are typically associated with lupus are actually uh, not present and negative. Uh, So I'm leaning more toward a um, uh, anti-TNF-induced lupus.
1: So it does so happen this patient did have anti-TNF-induced lupus. And so I will um, talk a little bit about that briefly. Um, Anti-TNF-induced lupus can occur from infliximab in 2 out of 1,000 patients and adalimumab in 1 out of 1,000 patients. Um, the pathogenesis is thought to be due to an increased autobody formation. There's two different hypotheses. One is a cytokine shift hypothesis, which um, they think is due to anti-TNF, um, causing a systemic blockade of Th1 cytokines. This causes increased Th2 cytokine production as well as increased IL-10 and interferon alpha production, which downstream causes increased autoantibody formation. The second um, hypothesis is that anti-TNF therapy interferes with apoptosis, and this decreases the clearance of nuclear debris, which increases the um, release of antigenic particles. Therefore, in susceptible individuals, um, autoantibodies are made um, due to the release of these antigenic particles. Um, Symptoms that can occur from anti-TNF-induced lupus, um, usually a lot of them are compatible with idiopathic systemic lupus, including skin manifestations, which is the most common, including alopecia, malar rash, and macular papular rash. There also can be seen arthritis and leukopenia, like the patient in our case. Serositis, nephritis, and CNS complications are usually rare. Um, These patients usually do not have a prior history of idiopathic systemic lupus. Um, treatment is cessation of the anti-TNF, and resolution of symptoms usually occur about one to six months later. In severe cases, about 40 percent of time, the patients will require prednisone or steroids. Um, About 10 to 15 percent of the time, they'll require other immunosuppression such as azathioprine or methotrexate. After resolution of symptoms is considered to say considered to be safe to switch to another anti-TNF therapy, or of course, changing the mechanism of action entirely. Um, Here is a chart um, that just differentiates some of the clinical features of idiopathic systemic lupus and anti-TNF-induced lupus. um, Both conditions, it's more common in females. Um, In anti-TNF-induced lupus, there is a more abrupt onset of symptoms. And as um, noted previously, um, serositis, CNS involvement is more rare in anti-TNF-induced lupus. Um, And this is a chart comparing the lab features between the two conditions. Um, And as noted in both, um, ANA and anti-double-stranded DNA um, can be elevated. However, it's very important to note that these positive autoantibodies does not always necessarily mean that they have that disease condition. Therefore, um, an anti-TNF-induced lupus um, anti-Smith antibody is usually normal, and complement levels are usually normal, which differs from idiopathic systemic lupus. So um, I guess we'll move on to our second case. Um, Do you think we'll have time for that? Okay. Um, It starts with a 41-year-old male. He was diagnosed with left-sided ulcerative colitis, ankylosing spondylitis, and uveitis at the age of 31. He was initially on adulumab and did well on this until eventually developed loss of response with both GI symptoms and ankylosing spondylitis symptoms. He was then switched to infliximab with azathioprine. However, azathioprine was discontinued due to elevated liver enzymes. Um, On this therapy, he had a flare of his ankylosing spondylitis and uveitis. However, his colonoscopy showed that he had quiescent disease. His infliximab levels were drawn, and they were undetectable. Therefore, his infliximab dose was increased. Um, he On this um, increased dose, he'd still continue to have a flare of his uveitis and ankylosing spondylitis and uh, did not respond to steroids. Therefore, he was switched to vitolizumab and had control and clinical remission of his GI symptoms, however, continued to have back pain. So briefly about the treatment of ankylosing spondylitis, all available anti-TNF therapies are very effective. Um, In particular, enterocept is effective. However, it's less effective in treating uveitis and controlling IBD symptoms. All anti-TNF therapies um, usually have a very rapid onset within two weeks and has been shown to have a 50% reduction in the bath ankylosing spondylitis disease activity index. Um, and the active inflammation is, actually can be seen to be reduced even on imaging on MRI. However, um, just like the patient in our case, um, what are some recommendations when anti-TNFs have failed for the treatment of ankylosing spondylitis?
0: So we have a patient with uh, UC and AS. It sounds like he uh, responded at some point to himera to uh, Adalimumab, then to Infliximab, and then we lost response infliximab due to antibodies. Uh, It looks like uh, immunomodulator helped at some point, but these were stopped due to increase in liver enzymes. Um, And now he's on vidulizumab. And we know that vidulizumab, because of its gut specificity, uh, will probably not affect AS, which um, we know that AS activity is independent of the luminal disease. Uh, so we do need something else or to add something to Um There was an interesting data showing that patients on vedolizumab I think Marla Lubinsky, uh, Dubinsky uh, published that recently, patient on vedolizumab had 20 to 30 percent more uh, chance of developing extra intestinal manifestation than when they are on anti-TNF. Um, so we don't expect Viduluzumab to cover AS. Uh, there have been some good data on VEDO helping with peripheral arthropathy, probably because it's healing the luminal disease and by doing so helping with type 1 uh, arthropathy. Um, so the things I'm thinking about is, one is you can maybe reintroduce immunomodulator. Can, can we reintroduce isotherapin or 6MP at a low dose with a combination of allopurin to maybe uh, have a higher uh, uh, level of 60G and avoid liver toxicity? Um, it can help with AS, so that's it's something to consider. Methotrexate, I've got uh, good uh, results with peripheral neuropathy, not so much with AS, and the data uh, there for AS is not uh, great. Uh, but then trying to think about other things, uh, could we add another anti-TNF, right? Uh, it sounds like, uh, this patient did very well on infliximab until he developed antibodies and would adding, uh, maybe sertolizumab uh, to Vido, would that be a good option? Uh, of course, when we're using two biologic, the concern is, are we increasing the risk of infections? Um, there, is, um, there was an abstract presented at ECHO last year where they were treating Crohn's and you see with a combination of anti-TNF and Vido. And um, it was a small number of patients, but it didn't show an increased risk of infection compared to what we would have with anti-TNF alone or with immunomodulator. So in somebody whose disease is controlled on vitolizumab, has failed to anti-TNF will be reluctant to remove the veto because it's working, but maybe adding sertolizumab would help. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, TOFA today, tofacitinib, and you know it's been approved for RA, and there is uh, s- uh, small studies, phase two trials looking at TOFA and showing that at 10 milligram um, twice a day, it does give good results for AS. There was uh, improvement uh, of symptoms uh, in up to 60% of patients with AS, so Um, adding tofacitinib might be a good option. Um, Finally, uh, you know, this patient has UC, and we don't have Stelara data in UC patients, uh, but again, with the mechanism of action of Stelara uh, being uh, something that is effective with uh, 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 arthritic uh, diseases, that's something that I would keep in the back of my mind um, uh, for this patient.
1: So um, this patient, um, they did add methotrexate to his vedolizumab therapy. However, he did not have any improvement in his AS symptoms. Therefore, um, as noted, he went to see a rheumatologist. He was started on certolizumab, and therefore on vedolizumab and certolizumab combination therapy. He maintained both clinical remission of his GI symptoms as well as control of his ankylosing spondylitis symptoms.
0: Let me present this case. Oh, yeah. Give you a break a few minutes, right? Two minutes? Zero minutes? Three minutes? So I get to get invited again. So don't say I'm dumping everything on the fellows. All right. Uh, this is somebody. This is one of my patients. He's 33, has UC pancolitis and PSC. He was started on infliximab, five milligram per kilogram, uh, received uh, two doses, zero in two weeks. He had a partial response. So the next dose, I gave it uh, at 10 milligram per kilogram. Nine days later, he uh, presents with right side jaw pain. Uh, then he said this is how it started. And then he had bilateral. Uh, wrist pain and shoulder pain and knee pain, and finally the pain was so severe he came into the ER, uh, he couldn't walk, uh, the joints were uh, like swollen and warm, and he couldn't really move his wrist. Uh, he did report fever and chills at home, uh, there were no rash. Um, on exam, he was tachycardic, he felt, uh, he looked uncomfortable, he was diaphoretic, his CRP was elevated, his infliximab level was low at 2, and he, has, he had antibody to infliximab. At 170, and uh, his wrist x ray didn't show any uh, abnormal soft tissue uh, abnormality or any uh, effusions uh, to, to, uh, to drain. Do we go next? This one? All right. So uh, I don't have the high tech that David was using earlier, uh, so maybe we can raise our hands. So, uh, do you think this could be IBD associated peripheral arthritis? delayed hypersensitivity serum sickness okay reactive arthritis septic arthritis Okay, so I think we have a consensus. Uh, you know, IBD, it could be IBD-associated arthritis. This patient's disease is not controlled yet, so he could have some, uh, extra intestinal manifestation and peripheral arthritis. However, he did not have that prior to starting infliximab, so that goes against it. In terms of reactive arthritis, he fits the uh, demographic. Usually these are young men, um, and typically uh, it occur with uh, some GI or GU infections, so we did send uh, stool studies to rule out Salmonella, Capulobacter, Yersinia, and uh, urinary study to uh, rule out chlamydia, and these were negative. Septic arthritis typically involve one joint. Sometimes it can involve more than one joint, uh, but I would expect uh, that to present differently. But the right jaw pain uh, that started is very typical for serum sickness type of disease, and this patient was diagnosed with a serum sickness-like um, disease, so you all got this right. And uh, this used to be described in uh, uh, for, for a patient who received a, um, horse serum diphtheria antitox, and so what happens is you give a foreign protein, you develop antibody, there's an immune complex that forms, it deposits in the vessels of the skin and and the joint and the kidneys and activate the complement and creates inflammation and it's very typically, uh, like this patient, it typically occurs one to three weeks after uh, receiving the funding drug. Uh, If you uh, re-challenge the the patient with the same drug, you can get an accelerated response within a few days. It's typically self-limited, so when you stop the medication it should resolved after a few days, uh, but definitely in uh, after a few weeks, less than a month, we should uh, the patient should feel better. Uh, the symptoms are what we saw in this patient. Uh, higher incidence if you have antibody to uh, to your drugs. Uh, treatment we give this patient steroids, uh, IV steroids. He could not walk and he was uh, very debilitated, so steroids often uh, help. Uh, you can use antihistamine if you need to. Uh, there are some uh, data that maybe you can reach out in a certain patient and use immunomodulatory to prevent uh, a reaction but most of the time patients do not want to go back on this drug and I think as physicians we don't want to make our patient miserable. Thank you.